Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. My name is Dennis Tubergen. Happy to be back on the air with everybody today. If you're not familiar with what our program is all about, let me tell you that we are here to educate. You will never hear us pitch product. You'll never hear us talk about any particular product. We are here to give you information. We're here to give you information to help you manage your personal finances better. And we're, we're really offering this education from a very unique perspective. I would call it a common sense perspective. Think for a minute about what your history teacher or your history professor probably told you. Your history teacher or history professor probably told you that those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Winston Churchill said, if you want to understand the future, you need to look deeply into the past. It all means the same thing, and it really boils down to this very simple and almost universally accepted fact. Human beings behave predictably. Faced with the same set of facts and circumstances, people tend to behave in similar ways. Even more true is the fact that groups of people faced with the same sets of facts and circumstances tend to behave similarly. Groups of politicians behave even more predictably. And it's because of these facts, because history tends to repeat itself, that we have almost a crystal ball when it comes to taking a look at what economic conditions will be as you move ahead. Now, the reality is there is no such thing as a crystal ball, and that's true when it comes to predicting finances and predicting the direction of an economy as well. However, it is possible, looking into the future, we believe, to predict where financial markets and economies might go at some point. However, the what is a lot easier to predict than the when. Now, let me give you just one example if you go back and take a look at other times in history when money has been created, when money has been printed, and the reason I bring this up and I, I use this as an example is that since the financial crisis 10 years ago, the Federal Reserve, the, the, the Central Bank of the United States, which is comprised of private bankers, has printed more than $4 trillion in money out of thin air. Now, of course, they don't call it money printing. You didn't see ben, ben Bernanke or Janet Yellen get on TV and say, hey, we're going to print some money. No, they engage in bond purchases. They're engaging or initiating a program of quantitative easing. It all means the same thing. And it's important to understand that, historically speaking, money has been printed time and time again in nearly every century. There are many different examples of money printing. France in the 1700s did it twice. The United States did it back after the War of 1812. In 1816, to pay off the war debt, they set up the Second Central Bank of the United States, just like they did after the Revolutionary War. And they printed money. And when they printed money, certain economic consequences eventually emerged. See, the eternal truth is this, and we're going to talk about this uh, in the next segment with my special guest today, Mr. John Rubino. 
John is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, and an expert on this topic. John also runs the website dollarcollapse.com, and we'll talk to him more about that in the next segment. But the economic consequences that almost always emerge are asset bubbles. See, the eternal economic truth is simply this. When you create money, it's going to go somewhere. That's common sense. When you create money, it's going to find a home. And when you create a lot of money, even more money goes into these asset classes creating bubbles. If you go back and take a look at what happened after the the War of 1812 and the central bank was set up in 1816, it took 20 years, but then the panic of 1837 set in and banks failed and stocks and real estate values crashed. The same thing happened to fund the Civil War. Banking laws were changed. Congress and then President Lincoln changed banking laws to allow the dollar to be backed by not only gold and silver, but also U.S. government debt. That was the equivalent of money printing. In fact, at that time, money was actually printed. The money that was printed was green in color, and it's from this era that the term greenback comes. Well, all this money was printed, and after the Civil War was over, that money had to find a home. And it again went into stocks and real estate, and we saw banks fail. We saw stock values plummet, and we saw real estate values collapse, and the Long Depression of 1873 set in. The Federal Reserve, today's central bank, was set up in 1913. The first thing the Federal Reserve did, or one of the first things that the Federal Reserve did, was reduce the backing of the U.S. dollar by gold from 100% to just 40%. Now, if you're a mathematician, you know that that increased the money supply by 250%. And again, when you create money, the eternal economic truth is this. It has to find a home. And it did find a home. It went in, again, to stocks and real estate. There was a major real estate bubble, and then the real estate market crashed in 1926. And, of course, everybody knows, if you've studied history, what happened in 1929. Stocks collapsed. The Dow Jones dropped 90% from top to bottom, and banks once again failed. Now, this time around, since the financial crisis, there's been more money printed than almost any time in history. And we're going to talk in the next segment with Mr. John Rubino about whether or not this is the biggest asset bubble in his view that we've seen ever. Certainly, it is in our lifetime. And we're going to talk to him about what the potential consequences might be. So this is what our program is all about. This program is about educating you and probably having you take a look at some of the traditional financial advice that's given and maybe look at some alternatives. Wall Street would love for you to put your assets into a bucket. If you have an IRA or a 401k, you put your assets in this bucket, and that bucket contains assets of stocks and bonds. However, as we'll talk with Mr. Rubino in the next segment, there are many different times that both stocks and bonds can decline. In other words, you can lose money in stocks, and you can lose money in bonds at the same time. They don't always move inversely or in opposite directions. They often move in the same direction. 
Now, for those of you that would like to learn more on a week-to-week basis, I would invite you to visit our website, yourportfoliowatch.com, because every week we give you a free email update for those of you that would like a free subscription to our newsletter. And the newsletter is titled Portfolio Watch. So simply go to yourportfoliowatch.com, give us your name and your email. We will respect your privacy. We don't share your contact information with anyone or abuse it. Just go to yourportfoliowatch.com and every week on Monday at market close, you will get our market and economic commentary. What's going on in the market? How does it fit into the forecast that we've made? And what should you be thinking about doing with your money? That's yourportfoliowatch.com. After these words, I'll be back with my special guest today, Mr. John Rabino. Stay with us. Attention investors, if you own an annuity or are thinking about purchasing one, don't miss the information revealed in this free report available by visiting SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. Your current annuity or the one that you're considering may not do what you think it will. Get another perspective. In this free report by Retirement Lifestyle Advocates, you may discover the biggest mistake savers make with IRA annuities and how to avoid or correct it. Why some fixed annuities that promise to protect your principal may actually prevent you from reaching your retirement goals. Why some kinds of annuities can lose principal in spite of high internal fees. Profitable annuity exit strategies. To get your free copy of this must-read report, visit SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. Once again, SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. I am pleased to have on the program with me today Mr. John Rubino. John manages the website DollarCollapse.com. That's DollarCollapse.com, and I would encourage everybody to go check it out. John is also the co-author with James Turk of the book The Money Bubble. He's also uh, written or co-written The Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It, Clean Money, Picking Winners in the Green Tech Boom, and back in 2003, the very prophetic book, How to Profit from the Coming Real Estate Bust. Uh, John has been a featured columnist in many different publications and currently writes for CFA Magazine. And John, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Sure, Dennis. Great to talk to you again. So, John, let's just start with, uh, for our listeners maybe that aren't familiar with your work, uh, talk a little bit about the book, The Money Bubble, and, and what's the premise of the book, if you can? Well, the the premise is that we've been living through a series of financial bubbles ever since, arguably ever since the 1970s with gold and silver as the first bubble in the series. Um, And they've been getting progressively bigger. But we've... um, we've come to a point where there's a qualitative difference instead of just a quantitative difference. Um, In in the past, these financial bubbles like junk bonds or tech stocks 
or housing in the previous decade were sector specific. In other words, one thing got really hot, huge amounts of money flowed into it, prices went insane, people started behaving um, as if prices would always go up, and then it crashed. And we were able to fix the after effects of that bubble crashing by creating a lot of new money, pushing interest rates down, and it worked. But this latest bubble, and it's a direct result of all the money that we've created and the extreme monetary experiments with interest rates that we've tried. Uh, This one is different because it encompasses pretty much everything. uh, All the government bonds around the world have reached bubble levels. And um, blue chip equities around the world, trophy real estate around the world, a lot of other things like um, art and uh, and other kinds of um, of collectibles, and because of that, the uh, the fiat currencies that are fueling these multiple bubbles around the world are actually the true bubble. And that's why we call the book the money bubble because it's really the currencies of the major countries, the dollar and the euro and the yen, that have. Um, have been kept at unreasonable values despite massive increases in supply. And so when this bubble bursts, it's a whole different animal because it won't be just one sector that crashes. It will be basically the global financial system falling apart. You know, when nobody wants to, to, um, to hold dollars, euros, yen, Chinese yuan, maybe even Russian rubles, um, then that takes all the tools that governments have to fix financial crises away from them. And that's what we're looking at. It's going to be something that, uh, that, well, that really has never happened in our lifetimes and, and possibly has never happened at all because we've never had a world in which every major government has this unlimited electronic printing press with which to make all the money that it wants to. Um, so this is, this is going to be uncharted territory, and it's going to be brutal for most people because most people trust their governments to manage their currencies wisely. And when that turns out to be misplaced trust, um, <clears throat> most people are going to suffer financially and in lots of other ways. So, John, you know, when you, when you look, I like your, your take on this because I made the observation that when you look at last year in, in 2018, and if you take a look at gold and U.S. treasuries, the long bond, and you take a look at stocks as measured by the, the major large cap indices, from 1971 to 2017, in every one of those years, at least one of those asset classes was up. And then last year, we find that all of them finished negative, although a couple asset classes admittedly are slightly negative. Um, are we seeing the beginning then of this, uh, this bubble unwinding? Is 2019 going to be the year? Well, it could be. Um, <clears throat> when it does unwind, it'll look a lot like what just happened where you have massive increases in volatility, both up and down in um, major financial asset classes, <laughs> and people get spooked. And then the, um, the fear that they feel, feel leads them to become more conservative. They run for the sidelines, basically. They take their profits in stocks and bonds and buy real assets, which governments can't um, create in infinite quantities. So when, when it really hits, we'll see stock and bond prices start to behave badly. In other words, bear markets in both asset classes. And then um, a lot of money flowing into farmland and energy assets and, and gold and silver. You know, those, those are the kinds of money that we typically hide out in when governments are screwing up the national currency. And this has happened you know, beginning with the Roman Empire 
2,000 some years ago. This has happened over and over and over again. Um, and it's always played out the same way. The national currency is debased by the government because it's uh, it's got needs that it can't satisfy with just the existing money supply. So they create a lot of new money. An oversupply causes value to fall, and you get a crisis. And as I said, the difference this time is everybody's doing it, not just one country, not just one asset class. It's pretty much everywhere. So we got a, a much bigger problem this time around. Uh, and it, it could be that we're in the beginning stages of that problem manifesting. You know, the, the last couple of months could be the first part of this. What, we'll have to see. You never know in, until after the fact whether something is a, um, a correction or a horrendous bear market and crash. You know, you, you only know when it's actually crashed that that's what it was. Uh, but it could well be that. John, if you go back and, it, and as you were uh, talking um, um, when we first started our conversation here, and if you're just joining us, we're chatting today with Mr. John Rabino, who is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, Must Reading, and he also runs the website dollarcollapse.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. But when you were talking, John, and, and talked about the fact that these, these bubbles seem to become more extreme, this one being the, the, the most extreme, it seems that the, the policy response by the Federal Reserve has been more extreme each time. So if you go back and look after the tech stock bubble, I believe uh, then-chair uh, of the Fed Greenspan dropped interest rates to around 1%. Then after the real estate and, and financial crisis, uh, you know, we, we saw the interest rates go to literally zero and, and nothing happened, and then they printed. Um, is there a policy response this time that would create another bubble, or are they out of bullets this time? Well, that's the big question. I, I, I frankly thought they were out of bullets in 2006, 2007. You know, it, it just didn't seem reasonable that they'd be able to cut interest rates to negative levels and um, buy up hundreds of billions of dollars and, and then trillions of dollars of assets around the world with newly created currency. You know, that, that was an experiment that nobody had seen before. And they pulled it off. It actually bought us another decade of quote-unquote normality, but at the cost of huge increases in new debt everywhere around the world. So now the numbers are way bigger, and the policy response, like you said, would have to be even more extreme um, when we get into the next recession and next financial crisis. So yeah, I'm not a good person to, um, to make predictions because I was wrong about them being able to save the world last time around. But my God, you know, it, it, it seems like it it's physically impossible for them to do what they would have to do next time around. In other words, we would have to have negative interest rates kind of across the board in the U.S., which means your your bank account would cost you money. Your government bond fund in, in your IRA would, would charge you instead of pay you. Um, and so what's the point, really, of owning things like that? Uh, and the, the next stage for these guys, when people realize that what's the point and, and don't want to buy these things, and don't want to invest in the preferred asset classes of the government. The next stage is the war on cash, which you, your listeners have, I'm sure, heard that term, um, even if they didn't completely know what it meant. But what it means is that governments will have to get cash out of our hands somehow, because cash is one place to hide out, right? If, you, if your bank account charges you 2% a year, why put money in the bank? Just hold it in cash under the mattress or store it somewhere else. <clears throat> but that stops the economy in its tracks when nobody wants to uh, to put money into the financial system. So the governments would have to do something to force us to keep money in the bank and in bond funds. What they would do is, well, they're, they're experimenting with some 
some really scary sounding things where they they um, charge you a fee for holding cash, for instance, to make it even more expensive than um, um, than a bank account, or they just ban cash altogether. And to them, that's no big deal. It's just another economic policy lever. But to um, to the rest of us, it's the disappearance of the last little shred of financial privacy that we have. So I, I don't think it'll work when they do it. They will try it. They'll try things like this, you know, negative interest rates, massive new quantitative easing. Uh, but I, I suspect that by now the numbers are too big, and they'll find out that it actually doesn't work. You know, it's seen as a sign of weakness rather than strength, and people will react accordingly. And so it's game over. You know, the, the current financial system can't work if those tools don't work anymore. So that's what we're staring at, and it's it's you know, a once-in-a-lifetime financial event that is fascinating from a, an economic theory standpoint and absolutely terrifying to live through unless you have really set up your finances perfectly, which is to say you own a lot of gold and silver in places that you can keep track of. So, John, that brings us to uh, really an article that you wrote uh, just yesterday, I guess, as we're, we're talking about this. Uh, Gold is up lately, so why does it feel so disappointing? And you, if you're listening and you want to read it, you can check it out at dollarcollapse.com. So in, in about two and a half minutes, um, what, uh, just give us an overview of the article, and then what's your, what's your forecast for gold moving ahead? Well, gold and silver were, were set up for a really nice run in January for several reasons. One is the, the, the structure in the paper market. In other words, the guys who, who play with um, gold and silver futures contracts, were, were set up so that the, the speculators, who are usually wrong, were extremely bearish. They were scared. They were short gold and silver. And usually, because they're wrong, the opposite happens. So that was pointing towards rising gold prices. Uh, and seasonality in January is great for gold and silver, because that's when the Asians do all their gold and silver jewelry buying for the spring weddings. So usually, they go up then, too. So we have these things pointing towards a really nice rally in gold and silver. And gold and silver are up. They're just not way up. So that, that's disappointing for the people who were, were looking at these indicators and thinking, ooh, you know, gold and silver are going to rock and it'll take the gold mining stocks with them. And, and instead, gold mining stocks are down. Gold and silver are up a little but not a lot. So it's possible that the rest of January and then the rest of the spring turn out to be great, as they could be still, for gold and silver. But the, the early indications are, are not as exciting as they should have been. So that, that's a disappointment. So, John, just moving ahead, it uh, sounds like your advice to listeners would be, and we'll talk more about it on the other side of the break, uh, and we'll talk a little politics, too. That'll be fun. But uh, you sound like you're you're really recommending, uh, you know, you've got to have some tangible assets. You've got to have some assets outside the banking system. You've got to have some non-cash assets to protect yourself. Is that a fair read? Yeah, yeah. When the um, the standard financial assets stop working, which is, is what will happen if these, um, you know, the numbers that are just so gargantuan out there turn out to be as debilitating as they ought to be, um, then where you want to hide out is in real things that governments can't create more of. You know, governments will <clears throat> become desperate, and they'll create a lot of new currency because that's their main tool for fighting financial crises. Uh, and the supply of currency will soar, which means the, uh, the value of each individual piece of currency ought to plunge because we lose faith 
in them because we see the oversupply. Um, historically, and again, this has happened so many times in financial history, um, the people who own gold and silver, which governments can't just create more of with a mouse click or um, you know, a, an order to a printing press, um, they tend to go up in um, local currency terms. So assuming history repeats, and there's no real reason why it shouldn't, because everything else is happening pretty much according to script, then gold and silver will go way up in dollar terms. And the people who own gold and silver, along with things like farmland and, and well-chosen energy assets, as I said, you know, things that governments can't create more of, uh, they'll do well, whereas people who own government bonds or bank accounts, which depend on the value of the dollar for their value, won't do so well or, or might do very badly. So it's one of those times, again, only on a much bigger scale than in the past. So I, I think that uh, we, we should be looking for places to hide out, and gold and silver are probably um, at the top of that list. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, the bad news is this segment is over. The good news is that we're going to talk with Mr. John Rubino of DollarCollapse.com again after these words. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. Portfolio Watch is a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you free, just visit yourportfoliowatch.com and enter your name and email. The website is yourportfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we monitor and update our forecast for your money. Don't miss a week. Visit yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. That's yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting today with Mr. John Rabino. Uh, John uh, runs the website dollarcollapse.com. The website, again, is dollarcollapse.com. And certainly, I would uh, urge you to check it out. Uh, if you're just joining us, John also is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble. And uh, I think that book, John, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was out about maybe four years ago. Yeah, it, it was. Um, yeah, it's about four years old now. And uh, the the thing about a book is that you need to time it right so that the predictions in an investment book correspond to what's happening in the world. And we we were too early, so that the predictions of the book are happening now. <laughs> so even though it's four years old, it turned out to be timely um, with the, the current world. I was just going to make the point that it's a very relevant read, and uh, you know your book, How to Profit from the Coming Real Estate Bust. Uh, was came out in 2003. That was also a few years uh, prior to the event actually happening. So uh, if you haven't read the Money Bubble and you're listening, I would encourage you to check it out. And uh, John, we like we talked a little bit about this in the last segment, but you know, if you go back and, and study history, uh, I think it was Winston Churchill who said that if you want to understand the future, you need to look deeply into the past. And if you go back to the Great Depression and see where private sector debt levels were as a percentage of the economy, and see government debt levels as a percentage of the economy, and you can compare it to today. 
adjusting the numbers for inflation. Today, we've got private sector debt levels that are higher and government debt that is significantly higher. So uh, this this whole bubble, as you said, is, is likely going to be the biggest bubble in history and, and the crash will be devastating. Do you want to describe a little bit as to you know what your view would be as to what this crash might look like and how our listeners might be affected? Yeah, we're basically making the same mistakes that countries have made in the past many times. We're doing it on a vaster, uh, a much bigger scale than any time in the past. So um, it's likely that the crash, when it comes, in other words, the resolution of all the the debt that we're taking on, will be a bigger deal than even the Great Depression. It it might not play out exactly the same way. It will probably play out through the destruction of our currencies instead of the wipeout of a lot of debt through bankruptcy. But it will still be a mess for most people. Um, And I I think the most likely scenario will be something that the Austrian School of Economics calls a crack-up boom. It's a point at which we, we... finally realize that it's the explicit policy of the government to make the currency worth less and less year after year. In other words, dollar inflation. Uh, And we just give up on it. We decide we don't want to hold this thing that's becoming less and less valuable every year. So as soon as we get dollars, we turn them into real stuff. Uh, we, We buy things that we don't think the government can create more of, and that pushes the price of those things up. So it looks like inflation, but what it really is, is a mass loss of faith in the currency. And uh, historically, again, this has happened a lot in in the past. Uh, Historically, that means the currency collapses in value and you get this big crisis and then you reinstitute some kind of sound money at the other end of the process and then go on from there. And so we have to go through this, I think, and and before we get to something sustainable and, um, and useful for the future. So as we're going through it, the the value of stocks, bonds, things like that will tend to fluctuate dramatically and in a lot of cases plunge. So people who trust the government to maintain the value of the currency and keep the financial system working in a stable way, um, they will will be hurt. The people who didn't trust the government got out of currency-related things into real things will probably do reasonably well. So it's one of those times in history when, when you've got to um, change your focus from doing what the establishment says is the right thing to do to doing what people in the past have done when they were avoiding establishment financial assets at all costs. So, John, we uh, you had an article also uh, titled, uh, with, with AOC, the Dems got their Sarah Palin. I thought it was an interesting parallel, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, the big headlines were that, you know, with this Green New Deal and, and implementing a 70% top tax rate on uh, – on high earners that, that that this would pay for this new green new deal and you know we this comes on the heels of a a tax cut that was actually implemented a little over a year ago now and with all this talk about tax policy it seems to me that all the politicians are to use an old analogy rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic i mean they're, they're, all this tax policy really is not even touching the big problem, which is a, a national debt that can never be paid. Do you want to comment? Yeah. Well, one of the things that happens when you take on too much debt is that politics get commensurately crazy. Because when your financial system is, is not working well, it, um, 
it makes it impossible for mainstream political leaders to satisfy all their constituencies. And then, then voters decide to, to look for ideas outside of the mainstream. So you get all these um, political parties and politicians rising who in the past never would have gotten 5% of the vote, but they take over. You know, Brexit is a good example in Great Britain. Um, Italy has a, a populist government now that, uh, that is made up of people who weren't even in politics a decade ago. Donald Trump is a good example of that in the U.S., in normal times, he would have had a hard time becoming president. But people are so dissatisfied that they're willing to listen to voices from the outside. Now, the, the same thing is happening on the Democrat side now, um, where you've got people who are um, just flat-out socialists. It used to be that you couldn't use the word socialist in mainstream political discourse because it was held in such disrepute by most voters. But um, last time around, we saw Bernie Sanders running as a socialist, and he, he would have been the, the nominee if the, uh, the Democrats hadn't stolen the nomination from him and given it to Hillary. Um, this time around, we've got a whole crop of new <laughs> socialists coming in. And, and the, um, the, the most interesting one, I think, is a woman... Um, a very young congresswoman called Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is still in her 20s, um, but is, you know, really telegenic. The camera loves her, um, and she's a, a flat-out socialist who is um, who's reviving all these old socialist ideas of massive increases in the marginal tax rate and huge increases in, in public spending to be paid for with taxes on the rich. Um, and she's getting a lot of traction. Um, and, and what's interesting about her is that she looks an awful lot like Sarah Palin um, two elections <laughs> ago because she came along. And people forget now how terrifying she was to the Democrats uh, because she was this robust Christian woman with you know lots of kids and extremely conservative political ideas, especially when it came to energy policy and stuff. And, and she made this brilliant speech at the, um, the Republican convention which made it look like she was the future of the party. And, of course, she flamed out after that because it turns out she was um, very untested and didn't know a lot about the things um, that, um, that she was proposing. So when you got beyond sound bites, it didn't work well for her. And so she kind of drifted back into the, the background. Um, I, I suspect the same thing will happen with Ocasio-Cortez. But in the meantime, it's, it's, it's fun to watch because uh, she is just completely freaking out the Republicans <laughs> who see this person who, uh, you know, there was a, a poll just lately um, pitting her against Trump. She's not even old enough to run for president, but it, w it was close. It was within a, a reasonable margin of error where, you know, it was almost a dead heat between those two right now. Um, so I think one of the, um, well, one of the scary things going forward is that politics are going to spin further and further out of control where we have, um, you know, people calling each other names on national TV, which happened just lately, um, you know, a, a Democrat congresswoman. Uh, said some vile stuff about Trump in front of cameras, in front of a crowd. And the crowd cheered and got on the national news. And that's the kind of stuff that uh, that is a step on the path towards something a lot more serious. And if we screw up our finances and have a you know really deep recession, that's going to make angry people even more angry and more frustrated. So this is liable to spill over into the streets 
because that's frequently how it works in history. You screw up your finances, you screw up your politics. And then when your politics is screwed up, that feeds back into finance, and, uh, and it creates this feedback loop where everything that happens makes things a little bit worse. And we're, we're heading into something like that now, potentially. So that, that just adds to the, um, the urgency of getting your finances in order, right? If politics are going to be a mess, as well as finances, you really don't want to be a part of it if you can avoid it, you know? Tend to your own garden, manage your own career as best you can, um, manage your finances in a way that aren't necessarily affected by the stupid ideas that governments come up with, and hope to get through it in that way. So it's it's a very different time from any time in our lifetime, Dennis, because in the past we could always count on, on things kind of working like they were supposed to work. You can't count on that going forward. So this is, is very different, and it requires different thinking on the part of people managing their finances. You know, as you were talking, John, we've got just like three minutes left. I I, I just wrote a piece on Venezuela, and, and a young, charismatic uh, Hugo Chavez uh actually uh, as part of an arrangement uh, after a failed coup attempt was given the national stage and it didn't take long and he was elected, implemented socialist policies. And now here we are 12, 15 years later and Venezuela is experiencing over a million percent annual inflation and people are scrambling to buy anything tangible and uh, they're even spilling over the border into Colombia, if you can believe it, for safe havens. So, uh, and, and those politics got really extreme. So are, are we on that same kind of path as you saw happen? And, you know, there's Zimbabwe, there's lots of examples, as you said. Yeah, we absolutely are on that path. It doesn't mean we get all the way to um, to Venezuela, but we're heading in that direction. You know, Venezuela right now, remember, they implemented policies that are extremely similar to what the left in the Democratic Party would like to implement. In other words, you put Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez in charge, and we'll get stuff, a lot like what Venezuela implemented. And in Venezuela right now, uh, you know, they're eating zoo animals and hunting dogs and cats and rats in order to survive. It's that bad. And they're, they're um, swarming the borders of other countries that are trying to get out of their country. Uh, and that's the direct result of, of far-left policies. Everywhere and always, those things have failed. And we, we go back to them because people forget. You know, uh, if, if you're 25 years old, you don't know about the Soviet Union. You don't know about um, Red China or um, or Cuba under Castro. And none of that stuff happened while you were alive, so you don't care. Uh, so you're willing to vote for people who say, we'll give you everything you want for free, and don't worry about how we'll pay for it. We will worry about that later. And, and that's the kind of thing that might be coming here. <laughs> uh, well, I hate to end it there. Uh, however, we will have Mr. Rubino back on the program at some point in the future. Uh, we've been chatting today with John Rubino. Uh, his book, The Money Bubble, probably more relevant reading today than when it came out four years ago. I'd urge you to check it out. His website is dollarcollapse.com. I would urge you to check that, that out as well. And, John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Dennis. Attention investors, if you own an annuity or are thinking about purchasing one, don't miss the information revealed in this free report available by visiting SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. Your current annuity or the one that you're considering may not do what you think it will. 
get another perspective. In this free report by Retirement Lifestyle Advocates, you may discover the biggest mistakes savers make with IRA annuities and how to avoid or correct it. Why some fixed annuities that promise to protect your principal may actually prevent you from reaching your retirement goals. Why some kinds of annuities can lose principal in spite of high internal fees. Profitable annuity exit strategies. To get your free copy of this must-read report, visit SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. Once again, SeldomHeardAnnuitySecrets.com. Welcome back to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. And thanks again to Mr. John Rabino for joining us on today's program. You know, in the last segment, I chatted with John about the situation in Venezuela. And I wanted to take some time in this segment to dig into what's actually happened in Venezuela not because I think you're going to be directly affected by what's going, to, what's going on in Venezuela, but because, as we talked about in the last segment, we are on a parallel trajectory. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that conditions here or in other parts of the world will mirror what we see in Venezuela. I am not. However, when debt levels get so high that they cannot be paid, Common sense tells us that they won't be paid. And there's only two possible economic outcomes when this happens. One, there's a default on debt which results in deflation. Or two, the politicians in charge decide to print money. In which case, there's also a default on debt, but it's an inflationary default on debt. Either way, debt does not get paid. Now, Venezuela was once one of Latin America's richest countries. Everybody knows that Venezuela has a great deal of oil as far as natural resources are concerned. But at one time, Venezuela also was very prolific agriculturally. They actually exported more uh, food in addition to providing for their own uh, food needs. Now, that's all changed now because the situation in Venezuela is in a word, horrendous. Inflation in Venezuela is simply staggering. Venezuela's National Assembly states the annual inflation rate in Venezuela rose to 1,300,000% in November. Consider that for a moment. Think about what you can buy today for a dollar. It's hard to imagine what you can buy for a dollar, isn't it, when you think about it? But if you can think of an item you buy for a dollar today... Imagine then, picturing that item, that on New Year's Day of 2020, you'll spend $1,300,000 for the very same item. That's the situation in Venezuela. Savings are destroyed in months when you have inflation, if your savings is in currency. Now, this hyperinflation has come about, the same reason that inflation comes about, it's simply money printing. See, Venezuelan politicians, like every politician and every policymaker in every country around the world, has three choices when it comes to dealing with a financial issue. You can 
raise taxes, you can cut the programs, or you can print money. In the first segment of today's program, I talked about the fact that politicians' behavior collectively as a group tends to be predictable, and they almost always choose the latter, and that's exactly what happened in Venezuela. Well, massive money printing eventually always inevitably leads to economic disarray, and Venezuela is a perfect example of this. One needs to go back only 10 years to see a similar parallel situation that existed in Zimbabwe. Now, as a result of this economic chaos, a lot has happened. Healthcare in Venezuela has all but disappeared. Children in the country are dying of malaria and hepatitis. There is a Venezuelan children's advocacy group that estimates there has been an 18% rise in teens taking their own lives over the past year. Hospitals have no emergency supplies, and more than 95% of CAT scan machines and MRI machines in Venezuela do not operate. So how did Venezuela end up here? How did the country get to the point that money printing seemed like the only possible politically acceptable solution? Well, Vernon Smith, who is a Nobel laureate in economics, recently commented, he said this, The government of Venezuela, in the name of the people and for the benefit of the people, sees the big, bad, profit-grabbing oil companies, thinking that anyone off the street could manage a business. They started redistributing wealth to the poor, made electricity free, and were even praised by at least one American Nobel economist. This small, incredibly oil-rich country cannot feed itself now. Markets whose prices coordinate and incentivize the creation of wealth cannot function. Farmers cannot buy seed or fertilizer. Food imports have declined 70%, and people cannot find enough food in the garbage cans. The invisible-to-the-eye workings of the complex economy of plenty, which of course cannot assure that all will be productive enough to share in its plenty, has utterly collapsed. Now Venezuela, as often happens, decided to impose price controls when inflation got out of control. History also teaches us that this never works, and Venezuela, according to script, has just proven the point again. Now, the reason that price controls don't work is simple, and think about it. It's just commonsensical. When the cost to manufacture or produce an item exceeds the price for which the item can be sold, manufacturers quit manufacturing, and producers quit producing. That's what's happened in Venezuela, and the result has been no food and no health care. Yet, despite the fact that time and time again throughout history it's been well established that governments cannot efficiently run a business, and that extreme government interference in market leads to extremely detrimental results, there are still politicians that would like the populace to believe otherwise. Now, there's a lot more to the story in Venezuela, and if you would like to get a copy of our January client newsletter, all you need to do is give the office a call at 866-921-3613, and we will be very glad to get you a copy of the January newsletter that goes out to clients, and you can read the entire feature. Again, you can give the office a call if you'd like during normal business hours, 866-921-3613. 
just let us know your name and address, and we will be very glad to drop a copy of the January You May Not Know report uh, in the mail to you. Uh, In the article also, we have our annual stock forecast, and there it goes a little more in-depth on Venezuela and the United States debt. Will this be a deflationary default or will it be an inflationary default? So feel free to give us a call. We'd be glad to get you a complimentary copy. Uh, Again, the office number is 866-921-3613. That's our program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. We'll be here again next week at the same time. Sure hope you tune in.